Welcome to Canada's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, Canada's podcast. Uh, I'm really pleased to have with me today Justin Sweeney. Justin is a entrepreneur. He's a social entrepreneur and all around just great guy who's doing some cool things in the entrepreneurial world out of Kings, New Brunswick. And uh, that's, uh, that's, that's really where, uh, where I want to start the conversation today. But he's got, a, uh, he's got some cool things happening with regards to two enterprises. And so let's, talk, let's start for, with regards to Kings. What's it like to live and work out of Kings, New Brunswick? Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm right in Kings County, right? So I'm uh, definitely a rural location. I'm a rural. I uh, I have this nice balance where I spend a few days a week uh, in St. John, New Brunswick, where I'm kind of in the city. I'm at uh, you know um, kind of hot desk style, co-working style space. Uh, you know, kind of set up a little differently each day. Uh, so I have that kind of really fun uh, kind of entrepreneurial uh, space that I get to spend a lot of time in. Um, and the rest of the time is right here in, in Kings County. And it's uh, like I, I'm a, uh, uh, I love people. I love being around people. Um, but, I, you know, for re-energizing and, uh, you know, keeping my thoughts uh, clear, being able to think, being able to, uh, uh, you know, just find some time for myself. I've always been drawn to nature. So, you know, my my dream was always living in the woods. It was always brook running through the backyard, uh, you know, nice open uh, kind of fields, being able to take my kids for walks and, you know, not seeing neighbors and just, you know, hanging out with animals and, and the butterflies and all these kinds of really cool things. And so, you know, our kids are two and five right now. Uh, so they're in prime uh, nature is just wonder right now, right? So nature is the babysitter. And uh, yeah, so that's what we went with with the, when we selected this place, but we never anticipated we'd ever do any sort of business out of here. Like that that was never the the inclination and in that we would be doing the work from home. Like uh, we, we um, it was pure happenstance, right? It was, it was a COVID uh, evolution and you know, we uh, uh, suddenly moved, uh, transitioned into this like online mode uh, for uh, bubbles and bombs and, and uh, you know, moved it into the house. And all of a sudden this work from home experience is uh, like when the kids are little, it's it's been great. Right. I don't know if we'll do it forever, but, you know, while they're pre like pre elementary, it's been awesome. So much more time together. Uh, such a less commute. Right. They're they're able to spend yeah. a week. Uh, at home here, right? Because we've got the, her, their grandmother living on site, so uh, it, it is—it's um, good. It's—they're getting what we really hoped uh, they'd get when we came back to New Brunswick in 2018. Nice balance, man. Good for you. So, talk. Let's dive into bubbles and bombs and kind of that story that started. I started with your wife, wife Judith, uh, having a uh, challenges, if I could call it that, with regards to skin, her skin. And uh, that's what kind of gets you started on bubbles and bombs. Can you can you talk to about that that aha moment? <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely. There's been a lot of aha moments uh, along the way because up until that point, we had uh, like I had dabbled in some things, but the concept of business and entrepreneurship were still very foreign. Right, it was not a a natural space for us to be in. I'll say. 
And uh, like what happened was we were, you know, Maritimers. Uh, my wife has eczema. We moved to Southern Alberta, uh, absolutely beautiful uh, space, cowboy country for sure, just south of Calgary. Uh, really enjoyable spot. But while we were out there, my wife's eczema flared up um, and we had lost, like we'd only been there a, a couple months. We were in a smaller town. Uh, we'd lost kind of the source for the the types of um, like kind of uh, very simple um, kind of skincare products that she was using. Right. So we used uh, a couple others that weren't really labeled very well or accurately, I guess would be another way to put it. Yeah. Uh, and it just aggravated it and pushed it to a point where, you know, she's looking at, you know, corticosteroids, uh, water suddenly became like an irritant. Like it would like, it would, it would aggravate the situation and dry it out even further. So, you know, she's bathing with a face cloth for like weeks at a time. Right. And um, we're just like, they're, they're, you know, your steroids or uh, um, like we just, there had to be a better solution. There had to be something better. Like we went to the pharmacy, you know, the things that were there, like she just didn't feel comfortable with a lot of them. She was having sensitivity reactions to things that had any sort of dyes in it, anything that had any sort of fragrance in it. Um, and so, yeah, like we were able to find like some simple unscented things finally, but it just really didn't fit the bill, right? Like it was hard. She couldn't build a full, um, she just couldn't build a full routine there. It was like, you know, okay, I found one thing for my skin. Well, what do I do about my shampoo? What do I do about my conditioner? Right. And, you know, so it was like this struggle over probably like six to eight weeks, I would say, right? Like just this bathing with face claws reading about in ingredients and stuff. And uh, yeah, it was, it was super old school. It, we, it, her and her mother ended up going to the library and just got a, to like a stack of these books and brought them back and was like, we got to figure out like how to make a couple of the things that we were using before. And so it, it just started out with like this whipped cocoa butter um, that she used on her skin. And it started to like, you know, basically just immediately started to, um, replenish the barrier is what it was doing right so it was really starting to just allow provide an opportunity for the skin to really heal um and so it, it was it, for me you know she's doing this she really gets into it she's like doing all the ingredient research she's starting to make things as soon as you start to make things you have more things than what you can actually do with so you're giving them away to other people and like i couldn't get over the number of people within our immediate like vicinity, like uh, I'll say like friends, family, people we were just talking to, people we could give stuff away to, who were like all of a sudden just sharing their complaints and their concerns about their skincare, right? So, you wow. know, with rosacea, others are like, I have eczema the whole time. I never, I didn't even realize I was uh, like 27 at the time. I just thought I was itchy all the time in the winter. I thought it was something wrong with me. I never put two and two together that I had a, uh, an issue with some of the cleansers, like the very super cheap body wash I was going in and buying in bulk type thing, right? Whatever it was. Yeah. And I just wasn't putting two and two together that I needed a back scratcher every night because of the stuff I was putting on my skin, right? And it was like, and so that was the aha. It was like, holy, this is a bigger issue. And, and it seems so weird to us that there wasn't like a brand um, that seemed to just speak exclusively to this audience. Like there, there were, you know, a handful of products here and there, but um, we were, we just said, okay, well, let's, let's start building out um, some products based on, on what we're doing. And then, 
everything from there was just an adventure. I'll tell you, I thought I was ready. Uh, I still remember like just feeling like we, okay, we can make a, a few products. And I bought a cash register at the Walmart. And so I'm pretty much ready to do business. Like that, that was great. <laughs> that was it. I didn't know if I was going to need anything else. I'm like, we're going into this. We're going to have this all figured out. And uh, so, yeah, that was basically like the kickoff moment. And that, that's when it, uh, we just realized there was an opportunity. There was a need. Uh, we had a passion. We had a purpose behind it. Uh, and so we just started having fun with it, right? Right from the get-go, we just said we were practicing. We didn't put a lot of pressure on ourselves because, like I said, we just didn't have the, the background or experience to, to feel like we were going to shoot off out of a cannon uh, as we were doing this. But we just said, well, let's just start going one step at a time, right? A little better each day and, and build it from there. So let's talk about that that part of your journey. You've got the aha moment. You were the youth and your, your mom-in-law. She was involved, obviously, going main librarian. And, um, you know, talk about those first six months in business where you, where you started to, to, you know, make some money or at least get some movement happening that you started to say, this is, this is something we got to do even deeper into. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's kind of evolved in a couple different ways, right? Like I, I would say like the, there's, almost been three iterations of the company um you know from the first days so iteration one is this you know 2014 very end of the year for six months we're like um basically what we said was we had time because we had just moved to alberta um i had actually passed on what i would consider to be like the safe choice of continuing my career in post-secondary education I had passed on that and um, had taken up an opportunity learning how to restore antique Jaguars, actually. And uh, so I was doing this for about eight weeks when the price of oil just absolutely tanked and everybody suddenly just got really kind of, uh, well, everyone pulled back on the, the hobby projects, right? Those right. are some of the first things. Everybody's cutting. Uh, and so that opportunity kind of dried up. And, um, you know, Judith had been making some of these products and, you know, the sharing and the response was really positive. Um, we had gone to a couple farmers markets was that was totally like sales was really uncomfortable. Sales and marketing for us was really uncomfortable. It was not nature that we would put ourselves out there. We're very introverted by nature. So that's been a lot of like that. That's been an area we've had to develop. But um, like I saw that the products were good. They were responding. People were coming back and buying more, right? They, they were buying at the farmer's market. They come back and buy more. Um, we had quite a stock in inventory. It was like right around November at this point in time. And we said, well, like, let's just hustle up and see if we can find a, a spot to like just put the product in for a month, right? Like, let's try to, you know, we've got the, the busy holiday season coming up. Like, let's just see if we can find a, a cubbyhole to to rent, so to speak, right? And right. we were really planning beyond that. It was very much that uh, one month at a time, I happen to not be working right now. Uh, we have product, we have the holiday season, uh, we have an audience who's responding, let's give it a shot. And so this was like the trip to Walmart to get the cash register and like, <laughs> they were, you know, you put a float in there, a couple hundred bucks and, and uh, we're just about ready to go. And so we were... You know, one thing that we had that was this, I guess, you know, we were a little bit ahead of the curve on a lot of this um, downtown redevelopment that we see happening pretty heavily now. 
uh, you know, 2014, like downtown in the small rural town we were in, vacancy rates like 30%, right? So plenty of spots. We just, you know, found somebody who was willing to let us take over, um, you know, a location month to month. And it was kind of within range. So yeah, we uh, kind of bootstrapped the opening with about a couple thousand dollars, I think. Like, you know, a month's rent. I'll, I'll tell you this. I remember <laughs> it was like Pinterest threw up all over the inside of this place. Every Pinterest project you could ever imagine. We had to come up, like, even for chalkboards, we were like, oh, man, like, we're running low on, we don't really spend any more money. Well, we had all these cardboard boxes. So we took these cardboard boxes and painted them with chalkboard paint. And we put, you know, this kind of, like, tool around the outside of it to make it look like something and attached it to the wall and wrote on it. And so it was just, it was really scrappy because, like I said, we we thought we're going to run this for the holidays. God only knows if this is going to, like, go into January, February and beyond. And uh, so we made an agreement with one another, like, we'll just take this month by month, right? We'll open in December. And we opened December 3rd, 2014. And at the time, we did it as a natural goods store because we had, like, our products, but we didn't have enough. So, like, I ran around the, the markets and, like, you know, grabbed, like, three other people that were making things that we thought were really cool and said, hey, like, we'd like to have your stuff in here. And then we like, you know, uh, brought in like a natural chalk paint line after that eventually and a line of honey. And so kind of built it out that way. But yeah, so we we uh, we launched like December 3rd. And we, I remember at the end of December, we were like, yeah, we got enough to do this for like four more months. Like, let's let's just keep right. right. Let's just keep, see how this works. And uh, we didn't know how it would work January, February, March. But I think you know, the community responded so well, right? And I think that's one of the advantages sometimes of doing something in a smaller place uh, is it gets noticed maybe a little bit easier. Yeah, right. You know, the, these there was just such an appreciation that somebody was doing something different, right, in, in the downtown. Um, and so I think that really worked in our favor. We built community really fast. Um, and we just had a lot of, you know, kind of playful fun with it. But I would say those first like six months, I definitely, I've always, <laughs> almost at every stage thought I knew more than obviously I did, right? And, <laughs> so it's, you know, you don't quite set things up properly and yeah. Yeah, uh, what are some lessons you've learned in those first six months that, uh, or first year? 100%, like the cost of working with an accountant on getting your books set up properly just from the get-go and not having to kind of, learn processes and and work back through that stuff like that was an area like we tried to save money by doing everything ourselves right mm -hmm. you just you're like i'm gonna do the accounting work i'm gonna do the marketing i'm gonna create the content i'm gonna build the website um and it is like you know there are moments where that stuff's rewarding but there's um you know as you continue and progress like it's just it's it's not possible and it's not feasible and and um, so like getting to understand, you know, where are there areas where I add value and where are there areas I don't add value? I don't add value to content creation and I don't add value to bookkeeping. I add value to interpreting the statements when they're accurate and making sound strategic decisions on those statements. Right. So I, I add value there and I add value when we look at our marketing strategy and we kind of review overall, okay, what content's performing, what's underperforming. Okay, let's continue to kind of move in a new direction. Um, that's, that's where I, I like to spend my time. Right. But I, you know, and I, I do that probably cause I, 
tend to have a more strategic systems oriented mind. And so I like, you know, I I can work at that level because I like to go pretty deep on things, but you don't need to go deep on your content. You know what I mean? Like you you just need to put some content out, do it quick. And I watch other people do it. And I'm like, how do you do that so fast? Like when I have to create content for myself, it takes me all day to schedule, you know, four posts for next week is real value in me spending my time there. So the biggest lesson was that, you know, just understanding um value like true cost assigning like a value to my time right and saying look you know what there's a value to my time and uh uh, in some areas i get a better return on that investment than others and so you know i want to hunker down in those areas because where we can normally get better roi is in you know areas that drive more revenue right like the right cost mitigation by you know handcuffing myself to content creation was never never worked very well for us, right? We did it. We still did it for years. But um, yeah, those were the things that finally like, and part of that was education, like going into it with zero, like zero education, you feel kind of nervous, right? Because you're like, you just, you're wary of the mistakes you're going to make. And and so, you know, you're wary of spending too much money and over-investing and um, and so we, you know, in hindsight went really slow. We did a lot of things ourselves. Um, but we learned a lot of things. I mean, the one benefit I would say that comes out of going slow and doing it that way is um, I'm much more confident now when somebody else tries to sell me something. So if you're yeah, trying right, to sell right. services or you're trying to sell me marketing services, I know enough that I can tell if you're full of shit. So right. <laughs> that, that really is like a huge benefit, I think, of, of kind of going that road. But yeah, I, I would say those were some of the biggest lessons, like just identifying what really you know, drove the revenue where we added the value and the return uh, to the company and then not finding the right people to to work the other uh, responsibilities. How many SKUs do you have right now? We're at uh, 46 SKUs right now. Is that right? Wow. Good for you. And it's all, do you have a, uh, do you have a spot in St. John or anything like that that you, did you uh, sell your products? Yeah, it's been a lot of learning, right? So, I mean, we had the natural goods store out west. Uh, 2018 came around. We sold that as like an asset sale, right? We let a friend take that over, but we retained our brand and our products, right? So we pulled mm-hmm. that out, gave the store to them. Uh, then we we launched uh, December 2018 in Uptown St. John. When we initially had done that push, we were very bricks and mortar oriented. Uh, the plan was 100% a multi-location strategy. Um, we were already starting to evaluate uh, Charlottetown, Halifax. Like we were just looking at like East Coast. We were looking at tourism-driven locations. Um, we had a better understanding of boutique operations based on what we did at West, right? Right. Um, so you know, we um, we started out with that. Uh, of course, fourteen months later, COVID arrives, and um, we're like. You know, we had five, four staff by that point, right? So you're thinking, God, you know, you want to try to keep the staff busy and keep them going. So like we we did the pivot to online and uh, 2020 to 2022, uh, those two years was 100% committed to understanding, learning and adapting to a online digital first environment uh, for, uh, for us as a direct-to-consumer company. Um, and we actually eliminated because when we're in physical bricks and mortar 
you just pump out product that sometimes aren't even the best quality product, but you just have shelf space to fill, right? You, you've got to right. focus audience. So like, I'm going to add some skews here and I'm going to, you know, retail my own line of essential oils. And so when we were in the boutique, we were closer to 200 skews because we had like a, just a, a whack of different, uh, more creative, like kind of packaging and things like that. Cause we were, again, we had a, a fixed audience in a fixed space. We weren't working digitally and we didn't have to really kind of niche down right. to expand and be a lot of things to the people who happened to be there. Um, so we, we stuck to our motif of like, you know, still formulating specifically for dry and sensitive skin. Um, that's always kind of been at the core and the center of everything. Um, and, and again, eco-minded and sustainability and things like that. But we, um, yeah, when we transitioned online, it's been a process of scoping back, right? Because I think the biggest lesson there was, um, the importance of understanding your value proposition in order to be able mm. to. Like, there's so much noise online that in order to stand out, you you, you really don't want to be, uh, you know, that group with 200 okay-ish skews, right? Like you really right. need to niche down into the things that you do exceptionally well. Um, and so that's been the process. And, and so now we're at like 48, uh, what we started in, uh, or 48, 46, 48 skews. Uh, eight product types, right? So a lot of it's aromatic variations. So, you know, it's it's um, eight product types, eight manufacturing processes that are slightly different. Um, and yeah, we still do all of our manufacturing on site. 2022, uh, we had gotten the catalog, the value prop, the uh, brand, the uh, everything was to the point where we felt comfortable starting to work with retailers and we started to push out into that audience. Uh, we, uh, picked up 35 locations pretty quick within the first few months here Fabulous. at Maritimes. It's great. We got everything out there and, uh, we um, almost immediately started to hit challenges about six months later because all of our packaging, all of our thoughts, everything we've always done has been for our own direct to consumer channels. It was never thinking about the, the amount that it's going to get beat up, uh, in transit getting onto a retailer shelf, getting picked up, put back down again. I mean, we, we always controlled that whole environment, right? So we, and, and we were able to turn our inventory really quickly. So we never had material or products sitting on the shelf six months, nine months, 12 months. Uh, and so we had, um, part of our ethos was to be sustainably minded. So we had brought on uh, like a completely compostable packaging and it was great. Love the compostable packaging, does what it's intended to do. But the problem is it's paper-based packaging. And we make a mm -hmm. product. Uh, it fits most of the time, but the packaging was a little bit poor quality. Some of the seams weren't perfect. And so I, after about six months or so, you'd start to see staining on the outside of the packaging from the Ouch. product material actually like bleeding out through, right? So it was... Um, it really kind of stalled a lot of things though. It was, you know, cause we had to respond. We had to be able to, you know, refresh and make sure that retailers were getting what they had invested for. Um, you know, it challenged us relative to our distributor cause we were thinking like we were, they were holding like way too much, uh, material and product at any, like at one given time, right. um, sitting on things for too long. I mean, it's just, you know, it's things that you were, were learning. I mean, we work with purely like natural uh, ingredients and aromatics. And so uh, we sell by smell. Like we're known because of our ability to 
basically include light natural aromatics from a variety of sources, botanicals, unrefined butters, some oils, um, and, and still be a good fit for dry and sensitive skin, right? That, that's, right. A, that's a big part of our value. And so those aromatics, they oxidize, which basically means they're natural. They're, they're going to fade with some time, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and so like, we're, we're like, okay, there's, so now we're learning a little bit more about uh, just kind of the inventory management strategies um, and some locations work better than others, right? Like just, you know, we were pretty open initially as far as uh, like pretty agnostic, like, you know, gift shop, pharmacy, like uh, we were kind of working across the board, but um, we've tightened back, actually we've trimmed back uh, a fair bit. We're now um, kind of going almost more with like an authorized dealer model. Like it's, uh-huh. it's really where we have like a much deeper uh, relationship with more a regional representative who carries and commun- can communicate the full brand and line. Um, but what that also enables us to do is have a much closer relationship so we can help with managing the inventory. Um, you know, ensuring that instead of retailers bringing on like a you know three to six months worth of inventory, let's let's keep a smaller amount. Let's refresh on a monthly basis. Um, let's revisit you know quarterly to see what's on the shelf. Is anything aging? Is anything uh, you know is first product impression fading in any way? Um, and then we're doing a lot more in coaching as well for uh, for the retailers, right? And it helps us with our focused marketing strategy as well. So. So yeah, we've got St. John, we've got uh, a Fredericton Depot set up. We're setting up another one in St. Stephen. Like that, that's a big part of what we're doing this year in 2023 is really, um, you know, kind of transitioning more into that uh, authorized dealer model and, uh, and uh, sourcing some new packaging. <laughs> <laughs> well, that all sounds like an interesting journey. A exciting one and one that, uh, you know, you uh, take, with the proverbial grain of salt that you go through it, it's uh, you accepted it as learning rather than frustration, and uh, it's going well for you. Congratulations on on your journey with Bubbles and, and Bob's. It sounds really, sounds really like it's, uh, it's 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 driven by definitely all the things you talk about, but also love along the way. So uh, congratulations on all of that. No, I appreciate that, Rivers. There's a lot of times where you question yourself and you question about, you know, whether or not you should be doing this. And, you know, has it been too long? Do we really try another pivot on this? Um, But at the same time, you know, I I also recognize like there's a a skill and a technique. You know, I I would say, especially in my wife, who's been full time in the company since 2015, like I've spent a lot of time outside of the company. And I I think we'll get to that here shortly. Right. But, you know, Uh hold up. Uh, an expertise and a knowledge when you're serving like, you know, one specific uh, uh, customer segment with one specific aspect of their daily care routine, right? Like you're, you're, you know, when you're all about, you know, the cleansing, the exfoliating, the conditioning, the moisturizing of skin for people for dry and sensitive who have dry and uh, dry skin, sensitivity skin, eczema, um, you know, you build up a knowledge base and a capacity over, over, you know, nine years of doing that. And, um, that's the piece that I know for me a lot of times keeps me going because, you know, I see how it impacts people and you don't really think about it too much. But, you know, kids can be cruel. If a kid has eczema on their face, there's a lot like some of the bullying stories that we've heard about. Uh, uh. 
skin concerns and challenges they have. Parents at their wits end because they can't put their kid in the bath. The kid is screeching and hollering and will have nothing to do with the water or and because it hurts. It hurts. It's mm-hmm. uh, like the, these are, you know, it goes beyond. Oh, I've got a little itch on my skin, which for me, that's what it mostly was. I was dry. I was scratching my back a lot. But, you know, that was almost the extent of uh, my challenges with, with the dryness aspect. But, you know, when I started to hear more of the stories and then understood more of how, you know, Judith's insight and, you know, the comfort and the familiarity really helps to, you know, help with the transition and a transformation for these people as it relates to their comfort and their own skin. It's it's uh, that part is motivating. That part is really motivating. And that's the part we want to get that really 100 percent spot on. Correct. Because if we can, then that that's the long term growth. This is a saturated market. Right. So. We've got to be able to do that one thing just expertly. And uh, I think we're there right now. It's uh, just a matter of um, just really rolling out the model that the the model's working. Everything's working for us right now. Um, We just need to, and I I think we're past our hiccups on the the inventory and packaging and some of this other stuff that's kind of held us up a little bit, right? But um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. That's awesome, man. Her name's got to get bigger. Her name's got to get bigger. She's, 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 you, people are going to know her, Judith Sweeney. <laughs> nice. Love it. I love it. I love it. So uh, let's talk about Kaleidoscope uh, in the affordable housing world. Let's yeah. get back to that aha moment. What, uh, what started with, uh, with that focus? Yeah, so um, something we talk about in Bubbles and Bombs and that um, I talk about a little bit more and more every uh, as time goes on is um, like our sensitivities and experience with, experiences with sensitivities kind of go well beyond our skin, right? So I, I'm we've had uh, some chronic mental health conditions and challenges that we've kind of worked through. Um, found out at 38 that I have a neurodiversity I am, I'm currently 38, so it's been pretty recent. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and and so, you know, learning how to live with that um, has been really challenging. I've had the benefit of, you know, loving parents. Um, like I should say learning how to live with some of these things when you didn't know about them and you didn't know it was going on and you were just mm-hmm. doing things normally or as you thought would be normal. Right. Um, you know, it was like, you know, by the time I was 11 or 12, all the men that I knew in my family uh, were self, they they were all self-medicating one way or the other. I, I just assumed that that was going to be a part of my life as I continued to get uh, older, right? And so, you know, there was a lot of uh, alcohol problems, I would say, drug and alcohol problems through my teens and uh, into my 20s, um, you know. Even once I got off drugs, like the the anxiety challenges that were still there after that, because uh, I just wasn't like you know I, I'm I'm I need some of that downtime, like that Kings County time. I need that Kings mm-hmm. County time where I can just unplug for a couple of days every week, just get myself back to ground, like just get grounded again. Because um, when I'm like in a space where I don't have good routine. Or if I'm just kind of, you know, running from thing to thing or, or you know, chasing the next exciting thing, um, I can end up just, I, I ended up going into some dark places, right? So, um, you know, I came out on the other side uh, after, you know, kind of hitting a rock bottom around 27 and, and steadily improved my life, you know, bit by bit through 
you know, personal development, uh, a lot. Stoicism was a big thing for me, finding stoicism and kind of baking that into my daily routine uh, was a big thing with overcoming it. Um, but a lot of friends and family didn't, right? So I, I, uh, I've unfortunately, you know, um, buried, you know, uh, uh, two uncles, a cousin, my best friend, my wife's uh, father, um, you know, all men, all, all guys who had uh, uh, kids and, uh, you know, left way, way, way too early. Um, and that's always weighed on me um, really heavily. Uh, and I've always wanted to be able to help there more. So even when I went and did like an undergrad, my undergrad degree was in psychology because I, you know, already, I already knew there was stuff going on. I just, let's try to figure out what it is. Um, that's not a good idea because then you self-analyze with every possible situation <laughs> you can come up with. So, um, but, you know, I always wanted to do something because what I saw, I was lucky. I, I, I grew up with loving parents who worked hard. Uh, and so I, I had what I believe was a really good childhood, but I watched cousins and others kind of grow up in what I would call like the intergenerational poverty space where, you know, they're on assistance, their parents are on assistance. Um, you know, the places that they're living in uh, don't feel um, even livable, right? You know, you, when you go in the, the the aroma to some of these places, you're you're just kind of struck by how some people are living um, right here, kind of in your backyard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not a mm-hmm. far out of place. It's, you know, three doors down sometimes, right? And um, so I, I remember seeing that and just feeling like, you know, kid with a big heart that there was just a lot of injustice in the world and I think uh, that was you know when you're young you I, I lashed out I was you know anti-establishment anti-police you know um because I, I disliked I, I was resenting you know the the system because of uh, the system in quotes right mm-hmm. uh, stuff and so uh when I was out west and was working. And so while Judith uh, and I were growing Bubbles and Bombs, I also uh, was offered and took the role of the uh, economic development officer for the community that we were working. And so as I was doing that, I was introduced for the first time to the concept of social enterprise, uh, which as I saw, it was really just a, a supportive employment model um, using a very simple business structure. In, in this scenario, it was a, like a used clothing store um, to give uh, kind of transitional employment experiences for people who had, you know, chronic mental health, right? depression, anxiety, who were uncomfortable, you know, maybe taking on eight hours at a time, needed two hours or four hours or, or a little bit of time um, to kind of transition in. And that was really interesting to me because until that moment in my life, it was there is business and commerce and economy and all the things that happen here. And there is, you know, charity and charitable giving and, you know, all the not profit, not for profit. And, and uh, you know, you need to be a martyr and, and uh, accept lifelong poverty if you're going to do work on that side. Right. Um, that was, I think, my my the dichotomy that I understood that the world operated within. and so. To find out about social enterprise was like, oh, wow, like these tools and these things that work really, really well for wealth generation and, and creating employment and, and, you know, raising people up, which is, you know, we, we can try to maybe purposely apply these to some of our social challenges. Um, and so that was my aha. That was my, oh, shit, this, this could change some things, right? Like th- this, this is a thing. 
And so in 2018, about a year after uh, I was helping that group, we were moving back to New Brunswick um, and I found an organization called the St. John Community Loan Fund, um, which is now Kaleidoscope Social Impact. Uh, and so I found that organization and the, the co-founder who had been there for 17, 18 years, um, Seth Asimakis. And so uh, they were bringing somebody on to kind of work on this really um, kind of like cobbled together role where it was like going to have to do some social finance activity. So like micro lending and stuff like that. So it was going to have to do some of that. But I was also going to have to do some uh, like real estate redevelopment for affordable housing and stuff. So maybe do some project management for, for you know, construction. Um, but I, I just saw it as this opportunity to explore further this idea of like social good paired with, you know, um, business activity or finance. Right. And, and again, I, I didn't have a background in any of this. I've always been super, super lucky that um, people have seen something in me and given me an opportunity to do things um, because, I, you know, I definitely on paper probably was not the, the best social finance expert at that point. So, right? so you know, but I had done things. I had built an economic development department. Uh, you know, within that, I created a, a kind of like a small business center. Uh, so, you know, I built tangible things. And, and uh, so I think that's what was seen when I went in, uh, uh, you know, for that opportunity. And um, yeah, so I, I got on there. And since then, um, I really leaned very heavily. Like I, I spend my time right now, I, I, the last five years has been really 50-50 between Bubbles and Bombs and Kaleidoscope. Um, with Kaleidoscope, it's all about uh, building what we've termed the New Brunswick Social Impact Fund. Um, so the idea is basically a very nimble, flexible pool of capital that could be held in the charitable sector and made available to those who are doing social good in the province of New Brunswick. Right. So, in the in the form of loans, right? And so mostly mostly loans. So that that's the the idea behind it. Um, what was great was I came in and there was there was no idea uh, when I arrived in 2018. The the you know the lending activity had always been micro lending. Um, the pool at that time, I think we had a few hundred thousand dollars uh, when I arrived. It had really kind of stalled. Um, and so, you know, I got in there and it, my job was, you know, as we got going, we realized like was to identify the investment pieces and, you know, what are the opportunities? How would this work um, if we were going to do things? And so, you know, started with social enterprise because that's what I was familiar with um, and had the experience of, um, you know, building a, a financing program uh, for social enterprises and social entrepreneurs. And so. Um, it, it is literally as entrepreneurial as you could imagine. Like we, we just had the idea. I remember calling FCNB, so the Financial and Consumer Services of New Brunswick, and get an appointment and had a meeting. I think they had five of their representatives at the meeting uh, because I was telling them what I was doing. I was like, is this legal? Like, can I do this? <laughs> can I just go out and do this stuff? Uh, and they're like, well, we can't really tell you one or the other, but 
they were super generous in that they pointed me towards all of the pieces of legislation that we would need, right, as we were kind of going through. And then, you know, I stumble across like a, a, a charitable lawyer who kind of understands a little bit about fund activity and fund structure. Um, and, you know, it's you just kind of cobble one piece together with another one um, and, and try to um, continue, uh, you know, building on, on, you know, what you want to see, right? So a... Uh, we had no idea how big of an opportunity there would be, how big the pool could get. Um, we just, you know, could we build something um, that, that was sustainable and could operate on its own and could kind of be there uh, into perpetuity. And so that's what we're, we're trying to do. It, it uh, started with the micro lending. We added social enterprise. We realized, you know, New Brunswick's a small province. There's only so much social enterprise activity happening. Um, you know, so in other terms, like, deal flow was not significant. Um, and so we were working on this small little two unit. Like I've only ever had to oversee one little real estate project or affordable housing project out of this. And it was two units in St. John. And uh, I realized very quickly that I'm not a project manager uh, for real estate. That is not my expertise <laughs> or my forte. Uh, and, but it was, it was really enjoyable and I learned a lot and I talked with other developers and I realized how burdened they were in trying to get projects up and going. Like, it wasn't that there wasn't ideas. It wasn't that, you know, people didn't want to get activity going. It was like, you know, if a, a key piece of property came online, most not-for-profit housing developers can't jump on it because they don't have a lot of liquidity sticking, like, you know, just kind of hanging around. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that, you know, a lot of these associations have been around for quite a while. So, you know, the boards, a lot of them didn't even have experience with, um, uh, you know, doing new development, right? Right, right. You know, a couple key challenges there. One's capacity, one is finance or the funding. Um, and so we went after the finance and funding aspect. And um, basically what I did was created uh, an investment thesis in 2020 around the idea of using affordable housing um, lending and projects as an anchor asset in a multi, uh, kind of like a multi-asset portfolio. So basically saying, look, if we do, you know, 70% of our activity in this affordable housing space, it's going to allow us to, you know, this is how big of an opportunity it is. You know, we'll be able to hit a, a fund size of 10 million or uh, higher, which has kind of always been the, the marker of sustainability for like being able to, uh, for the way our fund model works. Mm -hmm. 10 million is sustainable, right? You, you cover your staff, you cover all everything you need to do. Um, so well, we, we put that investment thesis together. We submitted it to a big foundation named McConnell Foundation out of Quebec. Uh, it was accepted as one of nine from across the country uh, for the um, Solutions Finance Accelerator. Basically, they like layered us with um, a bunch of support and uh, fund managers and fund developers and legal support and accounting support from people who really know what they're doing from across the, the country. Nice. Um, and it was awesome, right? Like it just allowed us to build out our business case really well. Um, we found uh, great like uh, student supports in um, an organization called Propel Impact which is a national organization, works with some of the, the leading kind of uh, social entrepreneurship, social finance minds uh, currently in um, undergraduate universities across Canada. 
So we had a number of them come on at different periods to help us with a lot of the uh, like market analysis and basically just building out the business case for both sides of the fund. Um, and yeah, we just, you know, kind of uh, continued to piece it together from there. Uh, I believe uh, with the arrival of COVID, things really changed about a year in because all of a sudden everybody seemed to recognize how precarious our housing situation really is. Right, right. right. You no, know, we hear a lot about it now, national housing strategy, uh, CMHC, uh, Canadian Mortgage Housing Corporation's back in the game and doing lots of big lending uh, uh, to get these projects up and going. And so what we do is we provide that, that really hard first bit of capital, right? We come in and we help with stuff like uh, some pre-development activities, um, but we help a lot with like acquisition, right? So we can help with a quick acquisition um, which can help when an opportunity comes up that uh, uh, for a new piece of land, but also helps when you have, um, you know, affordable units that are going on the market that might be lost to, uh, uh, right, to, to an open market and, and uh, seeing some challenges there. So, yeah, that is, that's been a journey, man. That's the, and, and so we are like at this point, we're, we're not at 10 million. We're, uh, we're, but I will say that, um, in the first two months of 2023, uh, we've approved just over a million in lending, and uh, we have um, leveraged out of that the like. I, it's it's amazing the leverage we get because we're such a small check in the big size of things, right? We're getting yeah. like ten to twelve uh, uh, x as far as the size of the project, or you know, uh, over our contribution to the project. Um, so yeah, like I, we're a little over a million out, but I think out of that off the top of my head, we've leveraged, I believe 60 new units and the acquisition and conversion of 180 units into a, uh, like a cooperative ownership. That's awesome. So yeah, it is like, it's, working. it's, it's tiring. Dude. It's tiring. Like I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's, but it's. That's super meaningful. Like my one favorite story was like the two units that I actually renovated. I, uh, cause I had, you know, my daughter at the time, like a year old, I'm like a, a, a goo goo gaga data. Like I just love the whole dad world. Like it's, it's a big, like it brings a lot of happiness to me, a lot of joy. Um, and so in those two units, um, there was a young man, probably about 26, who was going to be taking one of the units. And I just remember the look on his face as he was like setting up his daughter's bedroom. And I, I was like, you, you look so excited. And he's like, my daughter's going to be able to stay with me for the first time. Like that was it. Like he, he had never, he didn't have a stable living situation. He wasn't allowed to see his daughter. This housing unit was going to change all that. And cool. that was, uh, that's a tingle moment, right? That you're like, oh, I get it. I, 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 I could get hooked on doing more of that stuff. Well, you're doing awesome stuff, man, and uh, thank you for taking us down the story of Kaleidoscope. I could speak for hours on uh, to what it is you're doing, um, but the attention span of uh, an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Justin, I, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today and uh, sharing your stories, sharing your journeys, sharing your uh, your lessons and sharing your love for what it is that you're doing and the results that are coming from that. So we're glad you're back in New Brunswick. We're glad you're here doing the magical things that you're doing. And uh, keep on making them happen, my man. Thanks so much for being on Canada's podcast, the Atlantic Canada version. Thank you.
Rivers, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for letting me run on in my answers uh, a time or two. <laughs> uh, 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 definitely the biggest thing. Thanks for letting me explore both worlds in this conversation. I was glad. Wow. To be here.